John chapter 6, it's verses 1 to 15, food first, food first is the question, John 6. We'll read actually the whole chapter because as we saw in the previous chapter, chapter 5, the beginning of the chapter is an incident and then there is a consequence or a discourse, a dialogue, a debate, an argument that arises after that first incident in the chapter. Well, that's the same with John chapter 6. There will be an event or an incident that occurs, and then after that, it, as a consequence of that, a dialogue or a debate, uh, an exchange that happens between Christ and the people. This is what we'll see in chapter 6. So this is why to understand the context and the aftermath of it, we'll read the chapter. Chapter 6, verse 1. After these things, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, or Tiberias. And a great multitude was following him, because they were seeing the signs which he was performing on those who were sick. And Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Jesus, therefore, lifting up his eyes and seeing that a great multitude was coming to him, said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread that these may eat? And this he was saying to test him, for he himself knew what he was intending to do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them for everyone to receive a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are these for so many people? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, in number about five thousand. Jesus therefore took the loaves, and having given thanks, he distributed to those who were seated, likewise also of the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they were filled, he said to his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. And so they gathered them up, and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves, which were left over by those who had eaten. When therefore the people saw the sign which he had performed, they said, This is of a truth the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus therefore, perceiving that they were intending to come and take him by force to make him king, withdrew again to the mountain by himself alone. Now when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, and after getting into a boat, they started to cross the sea to Capernaum. And it had already become dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. And the sea began to be stirred up because a strong wind was blowing. When therefore they had rowed about three or four miles, they beheld Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near to the boat. And they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. They were willing, therefore, to receive him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. 
The next day the multitude that stood on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other small boat there except one, and that Jesus had not entered with his disciples into the boat, but that his disciples had gone away alone. There came other small boats from Tiberias near to the place where they ate the bread after the Lord had given thanks. When the multitude therefore saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the small boats and came to Capernaum seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered them and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man shall give to you, for on him the Father, even God, has set his seal. They said therefore to him, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. They said therefore to him, what then do you do for a sign that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, He gave them bread out of heaven to eat. Jesus therefore said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread out of heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. They said therefore to him, Lord, evermore, give us this bread. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall not hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me shall come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that of all that he has given me, I lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father." that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in Him may have eternal life. And I myself will raise Him up on the last day. The Jews, therefore, were grumbling about Him, because He said, I am the bread that came down out of heaven. And they were saying, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does He now say, I have come down out of heaven? Jesus answered and said to them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught of God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that any man has seen the Father except the one who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. 
Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread which comes down out of heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread also which I shall give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews therefore began to argue with one another, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus therefore said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who eats me, he also shall live because of me. This is the bread which came down out of heaven, not as the fathers ate and died. He who eats this bread shall live forever. These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Many therefore of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, conscious that his disciples grumbled at this, said to them, Does this cause you to stumble? What then if you should behold the Son of Man ascending where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life, the flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who it was that would betray him. And he was saying, For this reason I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted him from the Father. As a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. Jesus said, therefore, to the twelve, You do not want to go away also, do you? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I myself not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? Now he meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you will grant us true knowledge, insight of your word, and not only to be able to comprehend it, but, Lord, to have the grace to obey it. May we not be merely hearers of the word, but doers of the word. May we not say, Lord, Lord, and not do what you say. Lord, we ask you by your Holy Spirit to give us the strength we need to carry out whatever we learn. And we ask in the name of Christ. Amen.
as I said, John chapter 6 at the beginning has an event or an incident that occurs and then the aftermath of it in the subsequent verses in this chapter. At the very beginning, he says, After these things, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, or Tiberias. We will explain the passage from verse to verse and then come back to it and pick up three or four major points from it. In the first verse, this event is happening right here by the Sea of Galilee. Now this Sea of Galilee is also called a lake, and it's also called by other names. In this one verse, it's called Sea of Galilee or Tiberias. Galilee, because of the region, an adjacent region to the sea or the lake, and it's called here Tiberias because eventually by this time, in the time of the Romans, there was a city that was made there on the perimeter of this lake or this sea, and that city was called Tiberias, named after Tiberius Caesar, the emperor of Rome. And this is why it has these two names. However, there are two other names given to it based on either a city or based on a region or a district adjacent to this sea. And they are from the Old Testament, such as Deuteronomy 3.17. It's known as Kinnereth. And according to Luke 5, verse 1, it, it there is known as Gennesaret. So these other names are there, and I'm telling you this simply so that you don't get confused. In the northern part of the land of Israel, there is this lake, which we read about many times in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and it's known by different names. And just as today, sometimes a certain place will have two or three or even four different names, that is the same in biblical times. We're talking about this one sea or lake. Then, verse 2, a great multitude was following him because they were seeing the signs which he was performing on those who were sick. A great multitude is following him. Now, this great multitude, in this verse, verse 2, why are they following him? It says they are following him because they are seeing the signs which he was performing on those who were sick. Well, is that not what we read in chapter 5? At the beginning of chapter 5, the previous chapter, there was a man who was in his ailment for 38 years, and Jesus healed him, and then he dealt with the controversy that arose because he healed that man, right? Well, they saw this happen, and they saw other incidents happen of Christ healing the sick. And why is it that they are following him? Why is it that they are following him? They are following him because of these signs that he is doing on behalf of the sick, of the, those who had these illnesses or um, deficiencies or handicaps, either from birth or so at some point in life. He's healing them. Notice there, they're coming for that reason. They're not coming for what he's saying, they are coming for the benefit of what he's doing. Do you see that? Do you see the distinction? They are coming to Christ. Great multitudes, large crowds of people are following Christ because of the benefits that he will give to them. The physical benefits he will give to them. Verse 3, And Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. 
he is about to prepare for the coming up of the multitudes to this mountain so that he can provide for them and but first he's going to prepare the disciples who are with him for what he's about to do so what is he about to do verse 4 now the Passover the feast of the Jews was at hand the Passover remember the Passover in Exodus chapters 12 and 13 the Passover is instituted it starts in the month of March, typically in the month of March, for the calendar of the religious calendar in the month of March. The Passover to commemorate the deliverance of the people of Israel from the land of Egypt after all of the plagues against Pharaoh and the Egyptians to deliver them from Egypt and bring them into the wilderness and eventually to the land of Canaan. This is the Passover. God destroyed the firstborn of man and animals in Egypt, but he passed over the people of Israel if they put the blood of the animal on their doorpost or on the lintel of their door. This is the Passover. Now, this Passover and what's about to happen, and that is making provision for the multitudes, it actually does also coincide with Exodus chapter 16 because. After going into the wilderness for three days, and within a couple of months, they were in need of bread and food to eat and water to drink. They were in need of that. And so what happens in this chapter, the incidents are echoing or are reminding us of the incidents that happen in the book of Exodus in chapters 12, 13, and in chapters 15 and 16, where water and bread and even meat, quail, were provided for the people. All of these were provided for the people in the wilderness, a great multitude in the wilderness. And as we saw in our reading of chapter 6, there are many similarities and comparisons to make. Even Jesus, even the crowds, make a comparison to the time of Moses. Just as Moses did good things and helped the people, he also, Christ does good things and helps the people. Moses helped them physically, but also spiritually. Jesus also here is going to help them physically, but also spiritually. And what was Moses' problem? Moses' problem was the people were so fixated on the physical, they didn't care about the unseen spiritual world. And this is the same problem Jesus will face here in John 6. He provides food for them. He provides bread and fish for them to partake, but they don't care about the spiritual consequences. They don't care about the spiritual implications. These same comparisons or parallels happen between Moses and Christ. Well, Jesus is about to help. Verse 5, Jesus, therefore, lifting up his eyes and seeing that a great multitude was coming to him, said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread that these may eat? Jesus asks Philip this question. The question might also arise, why does he only ask Philip and not the rest of the twelve? The answer may be in the fact that they are near the city of Bethesda, um, or the city where Philip is from. 
or in chapter 1, John chapter 1, 43 and 44, John chapter 1, 43 says, The next day he purposed to go forth into Galilee, and he found Philip, and Jesus said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, of the city of Andrew and Peter. And this city, Bethsaida, is in Galilee and near the Sea of Galilee, where they are at this moment. So perhaps he, Christ, asked Philip because he was local. He would know the place, and so he asks him what to do about the situation. We'll also see that Andrew speaks up, right? Andrew speaks up in verse 8, and why is Andrew speaking up? Probably, like John chapter 1, Andrew's also from that city. He's also from there in the area of the Sea of Galilee. But the question arises, why does Jesus ask this question? Doesn't Jesus have power? Doesn't Jesus perform miracles? Does not Jesus know what he wants to do? Of course he does. Doesn't Jesus have divine power and divine knowledge? Yes, of course. But that's why John the Apostle answers it or clarifies it in verse 6. And this he was saying to test him, to test Philip. For he himself knew what he was intending to do. Jesus knew, knew that. Jesus being divine, he had a greater purpose. He had greater knowledge and a greater purpose. But he is merely testing Philip. Merely testing him. Chapter 18, keep your place here and turn to John 18, verse 4. John 18, verse 4. Christ is being arrested here. And in John 18, 4, we see the following. Jesus, therefore, knowing all the things that were coming upon him, went forth and said to them, whom do you seek? Do you see how John the Apostle prefaces Jesus' question, whom do you seek? Because the mob is coming to arrest him. And John clarifies, Jesus, knowing all the things that were coming upon him, went forth and said to them. He said to the mob, whom do you seek? He knew, but he's presenting the question to see what they say. And of course they say in verse 5, Jesus the Nazarene. And he identifies himself as Jesus the Nazarene. Verse 7, one more time, 18.7. Again therefore he asked them, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus the Nazarene. So these are two examples here in the book of John. Jesus full well knows what he's doing. He knows the situation. He has full knowledge but he asked the question to bring their answer to bear on what he's about to say and do. Or even to convict them. The, the words to convict the criminal will come out of the criminal's own mouth. This is the way God handles it. Whenever we're dealing with sinners, God does it this way. This is what he did in John, or excuse me, Genesis chapter 3. He asked Adam and Eve questions such as, um, why did you do this? Or where are you like this? Or 
um, who told you that you were naked? He asked these questions of them to bring out the sinner's crime out of the mouth of the sinner. So the sinner's going to convict himself by the very words he uses to answer the question. And this is the way it is here. This happens frequently throughout Scripture. Verse 7. Philip answered him, 200, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them for everyone to receive a little. You may have a note in your Bible that a denarius in the singular, one of them, one piece of money, represented a day's wages for a common laborer. So this would be about 200 days of wages. But how many people do we have here? We have 5,000 men plus women and children. If we see the parallel, this is the one miracle that is recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the feeding of the 5,000. If we compare it to Matthew 14, Mark 6, and Luke 9, there we see that they clarify there were 5,000 men plus women and children. So the 200 pieces of money they have here, equivalent to a day's wage, would not be sufficient for all of them. So the 12 disciples in their money bag, and who was the treasurer? Judas Iscariot. Judas carrying the money bag, being the treasurer of the 12 disciples, they only had this much, and that would be insufficient to go into the town, and Philip knows the town, right? And Andrew and Simon Peter, they know the town. It would have been insufficient to find any place in the town to go there quickly and come back and feed this crowd of people. Verse 8. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are these for so many people? There is a lad. A lad is a young man. There's a young man there who has five loaves of bread and two fish, but how in the world are we going to feed everybody? Everybody can't have a bite of the five loaves and the two fish. So what is happening here? A dilemma is arising. The crowds know Jesus performs miracles. That's why they're following him. But the disciples here are not thinking about miracles for their physical benefit. They are just saying the circumstances here are impossible. The amount of money we have on the one hand and the amount of loaves and fish on the other hand, these are not enough. What are we going to do? How can we do anything to help them? They might be enough for us to have for a day or for a night, an evening meal, but it's not going to be enough for everyone else. Verse 10, Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now then it assumes that they did, because it says, Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about 5,000. When Jesus instructs the twelve to have the people sit down, they do listen and obey Christ. They don't have any criticism of Christ. They don't ridicule him because they know now Jesus is about to do something. 
They believe his word, they obey his word, and then believe that he's going to do something to resolve this dilemma. There are so many people, and they need something to eat. So they all sit down. Verse 11, Jesus therefore took the loaves, and having given thanks, he distributed to those who were seated, likewise also of the fish, as much as they wanted. Christ took the loaves that were already there and produced more, but first what did he do? He gave thanks, verse 11 says, and having given thanks. To whom is he giving thanks? To God. This giving of thanks is reiterated in verse 23. Look at verse 23, 623. There came other small boats from Tiberias, meaning the city of Tiberias, near to the place where they ate the bread after the Lord had given thanks. John points out again that they were able to eat so much after the Lord had given thanks. After he gave thanks. So, Jesus first gives thanks to God and then a miracle happens. He sends his disciples to distribute the bread and the fish and to what extent? To their satisfaction. To their satisfaction so that he makes the people completely satisfied. Their stomachs are full. So it's not as though Jesus was being stingy with his miracle. He was very abundant to give so much food to the men, women, and children they were, that they were completely satisfied. Their stomachs were full. Verse 12, And when they were filled, he said to his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. Gather up the leftovers. Don't leave any behind that nothing may be lost. He wants them to preserve all of what was provided. This is also something evident in Matthew, Mark, and Luke in the feeding of the 5,000. Also in Matthew and Mark, which record the feeding of the 4,000. On one occasion, Jesus fed 5,000 men plus women and children. Then on another occasion, he fed 4,000 men plus women and children. And in both uh, or, yeah, in both miracles, according to Matthew to John, they picked, over, uh, picked up the leftover fragments so that nothing was lost. Verse 13, and so, this is the fulfillment of it, and so they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves, which were left over by those who had eaten. They obey. It's not only the command in verse 12 from Christ, but then the obedience to the command in verse 13. Now 14, the conclusion. There are two parts to the conclusion in verses 14 and 15. When therefore the people saw the sign which he had performed, they said, this is of a truth, the prophet who is to come into the world. They say something very true. The crowds, the multitudes, say something that's very true. This is of a truth. This is the prophet who is to come into the world. 
the prophet who is to come into the world will be the greatest of all the prophets. He will be the supreme prophet, the true prophet of God. They recognize that this is who Christ was, the true prophet of God, the ultimate prophet of God, the supreme one, the best of all of them to come into the world. They said something of Christ that was true. But did it lead to faith? What did we read in the rest of the chapter? They knew him to be a true prophet, the ultimate prophet. They were expecting that prophet according to Deuteronomy 18, 15 to 20. They were expecting the prophet like Moses to come into the world. The ultimate prophet, that is Christ, who would also be a prophet. They expected him to come into the world. Acts chapter 3, 22 to 26. In Acts chapter 3, Peter the apostle tells the people, the crowds, that this prophet Moses preached coming into the world is Jesus, Jesus who died on the cross. It's the same one. Right here too in verse 14, they acknowledge that Christ is this prophet coming into the world. But it does not lead to faith. What does it lead? To what does it lead? Verse 15, Jesus therefore, perceiving that they were intending to come and take him by force to make him king, withdrew again to the mountain by...